I'm Joshua Kagi from The Christian Citizen, and this is episode 31 of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Today, May Elise Cannon, author of the recently published Beyond Hashtag Activism, Comprehensive Justice in a Complicated Age, joins the podcast for a conversation with Christian Citizen editor Curtis Ramsey Lucas on spiritual activism and constructive engagement in politics. Here now is Curtis Ramsey Lucas with May Elise Cannon. Reverend Dr. May Elise Cannon is Executive Director of Churches for Middle East Peace and author of the recently published Beyond Hashtag Activism, Comprehensive Justice in a Complicated Age, as well as other books, including the award-winning Social Justice Handbook, Small Steps for a Better World. She is a contributor to The Christian Citizen, and you can find her latest article, Spiritual Activism, We Must Constructively Engage in Politics at Christian Citizen. May, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Curtis. Good to be with you. So you've worked in Washington, D.C. for over 10 years now. Tell me about your first impressions of the city and how they have changed over time. Yes. Well, I thought when I first moved to Washington, D.C. that I was going into the belly of the beast. (laughs) I mean, you know, my impression of um, the people there, but politics in general was there's a lot of dishonesty, um, duplicity, um, and, you know, kind of all of these negative conceptions, if you will. But when I moved there, I actually was pleasantly surprised and a bit overwhelmed by the integrity of so many people across the aisle, um, people who are engaged in politics or serve at the State Department or, you know, are civil servants, if you will, because they love our country and they love people and really want to make a difference. You've uh, written extensively about the history of justice within the evangelical tradition. And now we find ourselves in a time in which many evangelical leaders define social justice as dangerous, almost, uh, to the core of the gospel. Um, why, why the change, do you think? You know, it's really interesting. I want to tell those evangelicals, the ones who think that social justice is problematic, I want to say, can we do a Bible study together? You know, let's look at the prophets. Let's look at the prophet Isaiah. Let's look at the Hebrew scriptures. And if you don't esteem the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament the way you do Jesus's teachings, let's start there. Let's talk about Jesus's response, you know, in Matthew 25, when he says, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. The Bible is Um, wrought with issues of social justice and the call on the people of God to be just people. And when they don't act justly, there's often um, horrific consequences. And so let's study the Bible together would be my response. And in terms of the question of why is it that way, I think it's so unfortunate that the church has increasingly moved away from its traditional and historical role of responding to the needs of the poor. You know, in the early 20th century, there was a shift where it used to be in the 19th century, the number one place you would go if you needed food or if you needed some type of benevolence was you would go to church, you'd go to the neighborhood church. And, you know, increasingly, 
the response to the poor became privatized through social workers, the professionalization of care for the poor, the government's role in responding to the needs of the poor from Roosevelt, you know, and other administrations, which made a lot of sense during that time. You had a the Great Depression, and so the church was suffering alongside of everyone else. But one of the consequences of that has been this, what I would say is a false bifurcation, where on one side, you have believers who esteem righteousness and the Bible and piety. And on the other side, you have um, certain segments of the church, which are viewed as more progressive, that care about social justice, concern for the poor, racial righteousness. Um, Whereas I would assert that historically in the church and certainly in the Bible, those concepts should not be bifurcated, but are really one in the same. And how would you connect that historic concern for justice within evangelicalism and the church more broadly uh, with the concerns we see for social justice in the 21st century, in the world we're living in now? Sure. So today, you know, we hear the cry, Black Lives Matter. I mean, that's one of the main mantras of a lot of the movements around the country that are responding to racial unrest. And in large parts, that is in direct response to um, actions of force by the police, uh, for example. And so we could talk about just some of the horrific incidents, you know, the the killing of Breonna Taylor, for example, where there was a no-knock warrant and the police killed her in her home. Um, and so some of what we're seeing today manifested uh, in in the context of relationships with the police, but also, you know, there's the story of Ahmad Arbery, who was a black man who went out for a run and was killed while out on this run, um, you know, by... I would say white supremacists, <laughs> um, you know, and so we're seeing this manifestation of racial injustice in a way that I don't think we've seen, you know, since the civil rights movement or before the time of the Jim Crow laws. And so some of what I hope we'll be paying attention to, particularly as we go to vote in November, is that um, unlike any time in contemporary history, uh, because I believe in large part of who is in the White House, but because of some of the divisions within our country, we are seeing rampant expressions of racial injustice that are so violent and so atrocious. You know, may we fall on our knees and pray in response, but may we also vote, you know, in response to some of these realities that we're witnessing. You mentioned the civil rights movement, and in your book, you talk about the debate in the 1960s regarding church and politics between Richard Mao and Howard Pugh. Um, What were the arguments in that debate, and how do they apply today? When I found that story, when I was doing research uh, for my new book, Beyond Hashtag Activism, I I just thought, what a moment in history. So Pew was one of the business leaders who was one of the funders of Christianity Today. And at that point, Mao must have been quite young. You know, he was a writer. I don't even know if he knows that I wrote about that story in this new book. So I was thinking today I should drop him an email (laughs) um, to tell him that I found this story. But Pew had this conservative 
conservative viewpoint where he really believed that um, the church should not intervene in politics, you know, and he would quote things like, um, you know, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, this idea that the church should be on one side and politics should be on the other. And Pew really challenged him and said that that wasn't the case, that actually we have a spiritual obligation to be engaged in political discourse. Um, And so Pew's response uh, to this funder of this magazine he was writing for, you know, really contradicted that view, um, which I thought was quite profound. And actually the editor of Christianity Today uh, supported Richard Mao uh, in his challenge of Pew, you know, which I think is an important part of the history back in 1967. I was going to say that would be Carl Henry, who was the founding editor of Christianity Today. And I've done some reading of him. Um, he wrote a book in 1947 called The Uneasy Conscience of Modern Fundamentalism, um, which at the time was a pretty radical argument. I mean, he had argued that um, fundamentalism had become so divorced from social concerns. Um, I think he wrote in that book, uh, whereas once the redemptive gospel was world changing, uh, now it is narrowed to a world resisting message. So it's interesting that he he backed uh, Mao up in that argument. I was kind of curious where where he fit in with that whole uh, conversation. I'm going to get a copy of that book. I'm not familiar, but my PhD dissertation did an analysis of the Christianity today and the Christian century and how they wrote about the nation of Israel. And so I've done a lot of research, you know, in the archives of Christianity today. Uh, So I'm going to pick up a copy of that book. So your latest book uh, is called Beyond Hashtag Activism. And uh, what has been positive about the social media approach to activism? And how do you see that as negative or, or limiting? Yes. So I think the movement of hashtags has been um, very effective in raising awareness, in spreading the word, in gaining solidarity around certain issues. So we could use the example of the hashtag Me Too movement, which was a secular hashtag responding to gender inequality first, I think, in Hollywood, you know, and then it extended to hashtag church to talking about the treatment of women in the context of the church. And, um, you know, that's an example of a movement that addressed an injustice uh, and was very effective. But I would argue that with these hashtag movements, they're a starting point, not an ending point. So they're wonderful to raise awareness, but may we not end there. May we move beyond them. And so, you know, I told the story earlier about Ahmad Arbery, this uh, young black man who was out for a run, there was a hashtag called run with Maud. Um, and it wasn't just a hashtag. People around the country went out and ran the same distance that he ran before he was killed as a way of showing awareness for racial inequality, which I would say is an example of moving beyond the hashtag. They didn't just, you know, click a like button on Facebook. They actually went um, out and, you know, took other actions in response to the injustice they were trying to address. And your book opens uh, with an account that I found kind of fascinating, your trip to the Isle of Iona off the coast of Scotland. And you write that Iona has been called a thin place, closer to heaven 
and some of the thick places of the world. How does that experience connect with your understanding of the kingdom of God and its presence in our midst in those thick places of the world? Hmm. I think often of the Lord's Prayer that we pray every day or frequently in the context of church, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I think sometimes there's places on the earth where maybe because they're so peaceful or so beautiful, but there's almost this penetration of the kingdom of God that feels present, you know, where it just feels closer to heaven. I don't know how to explain it other than that. And I think sometimes that happens not just in places, but in circumstances where sometimes the world is beautiful and we experience redemption, you know, of different things or different brokenness where brokenness can be healed. And I believe that's a part of God's kingdom coming to the earth. And so as we pray that prayer every day, thy kingdom come, the hope is where there is brokenness that there might be healing, where there is injustice that justice might come forth. You know, when there is uh, darkness, that light would shine in the midst of darkness. And so Iona uh, was a precious, precious place. And I don't know, particularly with travel, you know, that I'll ever get back there. Um, But I was grateful to have had that opportunity. There's a common conception um, saying, if you will, about faith and politics. Um, One ought not to talk about faith and politics in polite company. They can be divisive uh, subjects leading to argument. How should faith and politics interact, though, from your perspective? Hmm. I believe our faith should inform our politics, that politics has become um, something that we don't talk about at the dinner table. But one of the things I write about a bit in the article um, is I talk about uh, actually the way that Um, Socrates and Plato and early Greek philosophers identified politics, that really politics is just the way we interact with one another, the way that we engage as a society. And if you want to put it in Christian terms, the way we respond to the needs of our neighbor. That's what politics is. And so I know often in the context of the church, it's been viewed you know, I go to church on Sunday morning, but my church life and my Christian life is about my relationship with God and everything else, you know, politics and society is viewed as kind of, you know, of the world, if you will. Um, And in large part, I just hope that those of us who identify ourselves as followers of Jesus will allow our faith and our spirituality um, and our belief in Christ to inform the way that we engage in politics and to inform the way that we engage in voting, um, you know, and in broader society. And as churches, um, people of faith engage these concerns, what advice would you offer um, about how to have healthy, constructive conversations about the connections between faith and politics? Well, I hope that we will talk about politics at the dinner table. And I I was thinking, you know, just about the value of even having civil discourse. Part of what's missing at this moment, you know, in the United States is that um, there's a lot of judgment on both sides. There's a lot of name calling. There's, there's not a lot of civility. And so even just being able to have constructive discourse, you know, 
smart, good-minded people can look at a problem and have differences of opinion in terms of the way that that problem should be addressed. You know, maybe it's something like poverty and certain people may think it's the role of the government to respond to the needs of the poor and other people may think that there are other aspects of society that should play that role. And so unless we're able to have these conversations where we can disagree and to be able to get to the heart of the issue, um, I don't think then that we'll make progress at mending some of these divisions that we're seeing. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners in this election season? Well, I'm grateful. You know, I've been reading some of the articles that the Christian Citizen has been putting out about voting and about spirituality and politics. Um, And so I'm very grateful for that. And I just hope and pray, and I'm personally more convicted than ever before, that it is a spiritual act to go and to vote. And so if people think their vote doesn't matter, I would say vote out of your faithfulness. Um, You know, even if you live in a state, you know, that typically votes one way or another. And I hope that when we go to the voting booth, we will take with us the cry of the people on the streets who are saying Black Lives Matter and who are saying um, that so much of this racial injustice that's so prevalent now can't continue to go on. That's my hope and prayer. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me. Look for May Elise Cannon's latest article, Spiritual Activism, We Must Constructively Engage in Politics, at christiancitizen.us. While there, be sure to subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter for access to the latest content from The Christian Citizen. Thank you to this week's guest, May Elise Cannon. Our theme music is Believable Too by Peter Sandberg. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Kagi. Stories are copy edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagre, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and the Reverend Cassandra Karkoff Williams. And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMichael, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about The Christian Citizen, visit our website, christiancitizen.us. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>